gone consecutively to Peter's first letter for some weeks, and uh, the text that we would be coming to would be relating to relationships in the home. But today is a special day, and the next two Sundays will be special Sundays, so I'm just going to take the verses, the sections in a different order. And it's not because John Bento has offered to pay me off, so I don't preach on it. <laughs> Um, it's because last Monday, Jerry was recognized by the church as, as coming into the office of, of an elder. And later this morning, before we break bread, we're going to pray together and just set Jerry aside to that work and ministry. And it seemed only right that since we were doing that, it's like a marriage in a sense, in a special way, a relationship within the church that I actually preach on it. And if you were to, if you turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, the first five verses relate directly to the subject of eldership and uh, the, the place of elders in a local church, what we should expect and how we should relate to them. I want to try and keep it very practical, but I want just to set the scene for us so that when we actually come together to pray for Jerry and Audrey um, as his lieutenant or whatever, Captain, General, thank you, um, that uh, we might at least know the context of which we are speaking. There are, in these five verses, uh, three couplets of positives and negatives that we should expect of an elder, the, the, the reason, the motive, and the manner in which a man should operate within that sphere. And I want to look at it. First of all, in order to help the elders, and Jerry in particular, to consider what on earth he's taken on. But also to help us as a people to know how am I to relate to those that God has placed in leadership over me. Because if I'm a Christian, it means that I'm part of a church. And if I'm part of a church, it means that I have to relate responsibly to those that are in leadership for me. So let's read the verses together. Now to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who, was, who will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the Christ, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Lord, we do ask you this morning that you will take us beyond the mere academic understanding of your word and help it to actually shape our hearts and our reactions. And we just pray, Lord Jesus, for your spirit to come powerfully among us this morning, and particularly on those who are in leadership within the fellowship, that there might be a real note of reality in what, we, in what we say, in what we consider, and in what we do. <coughs> Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you make this word live and powerfully relevant to us? In Jesus' name. Amen. 
There are three words, key words, that are used here of those that have overall leadership responsibility in a local church. Elder, overseer, and shepherd. Three words that in the New Testament are used interchangeably. We've, unfortunately, with the passage of time and the development of ideas within the church, they've all got muddled up and it hasn't helped us at all. But I want to look at each of those terms, what it means for us, and how you ought to respond and give some thought to that as a Christian, to those that have that leadership place. First of all, the, the, the term elder itself. The Greek word is the one that has produced the word presbyter. It's, it's the, the, the word that carries with it almost a sense of seniority. That uh, in the first century AD, age and respect went together so that we venerated the grey hairs. <laughs> Alright, Gerald, do point fine. And remember, in, in the Old Testament, there was the incident where Rehoboam was, was coming to the throne after Solomon was king. And he had two sets of counsel offered him. The young men and the old men. And the old men said, take it careful, Rehoboam. And, you know, don't alienate the people. And the young men said, you know, you hit them with whips, not hit them with scorpions. And, Unfortunately, he tended to listen to the, you know, to the to the hawks, not the doves, and the kingdom was split in two. And the the, the message really is that that someone in leadership has to have that. Can I call it seasoned strength, where some of the impulsiveness of youth has been moulded off of it. And therefore, Peter, in talking about elders, and in the, first of all, in those with the experience and seniority to be able to give a, a better judgment, talks about how that they should exercise that judgment in leadership, not with compulsion, not with a high hand, not as overlords. We read it there, I think it is in verse 3. God wants you to be not greedy for money, but eager, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And Jesus himself, when he was talking about, the, about those that should come to serve, and notice that an elder here is described as one who serves. And Jesus said, it's not got to be like it is with the Gentiles, not like it is out there. The more stripes you get on, the, on your arm, the more you can alter people around. You might think that those are the principles under which I operate, but you're wrong, they're not. No, it's not. No, it's not. That the heart of the elder, the heart of the person with the experience is the person who can actually take people with them without coercion and bullying, and something that he must do gladly. Now notice, in some ways, Peter is the classic of this. Notice that he is an elder with apostolic credentials. If anybody could have pulled rank, he could. Right? Now, it's quite clear in Scripture that there are elders, and that there are elders with a particular ministry gift that sets them aside with authority over. There are a number of instances throughout the churches of the New Testament, 
such as James in Jerusalem, clearly had an authority over the elders. Titus in Crete, that there's a lovely, well, not lovely, maybe depending on your viewpoint, Epaphroditus in Philippi, there's Barnabas, Simeon, and Menaean in Antioch, there was John in Ephesus, people with a, a special calling and a special authority. Now, clearly, Peter because he had the authority to write the letter in the first place, was a man with that kind of claim, a, a, a gift mark, one of those men that Christ himself has placed significantly and especially in the church. Right? That there is a, a, a special role and a special anointing and a special ministry, a special kind of servanthood <coughs> from those who are apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors, teachers over the elders, special input and ministry to a body of elders. But Peter, and as well as he says here, he is one who witnessed the sufferings of Jesus, one who it is, puts it, unfortunately, in the NIV, pushes it into the future, one will, who will see. The idea that is there is one who has seen, he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he, he has seen Jesus glorified, and he will see him glorified, if ever there was a man who could come in strength, yes, who could more, and sometimes, you know, some of the, some of the impressions of current-day apostles don't quite fit with what I'm reading here. Peter had the courage, but he didn't move people that way. He had the authority with, not only with the elders, but with the church, in order to exercise and have a strong input to, to, to be determinative in that way. And yet, he didn't operate on that level. He came as a servant. He didn't come with one who was to be high-handed, not lording it over. And in his authority, as an apostle, he could have done. But he didn't. And the same here, he comes in. It's interesting the word that was used, again, doesn't quite come across in the NIV, that it says, as a fellow elder. He's not saying, I come in as somebody of equal rank with you. The word is that he comes in as an elder with you. Can you see that? And that the role of an elder in this respect is not somebody to walk in, kind of sh showering orders on everybody. The picture is very much of an elder alongside, not ordering, but encouraging, in order to let the seniority, let the authority, the stamp of the man, have the impression on the people that he ought to have. And uh, we'll look at it a little bit later, the, the idea of being an example, being a model. Don't know you too much of that, Gerald. <laughs> How you would look on the gangway, or the, <laughs> the catwalk. But the, the idea is there just the same that an elder should carry that kind of authority. And Jesus' own approach to being a servant was exactly the same. Come to me, who are meek and lowly of heart. And the, 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 the way in which authority, the way in which leading and ruling is upside down within the Christian fellowship. How mistaken we've got with archbishops, and popes, and cardinals, and rural deans, 
And the idea of, you know, preferment and, and a ladder to climb. The, the grace of God isn't like that. That promotion, seniority, means taking the lower place of a servant and not the higher. And if ever anybody exemplified that, obviously Jesus did. And uh, sometimes, you know, just the, the manner in which I'm thinking of some men of so called prophetic vision in today's church, they, they're rather hard. And the rather you take it, and there's no discussion in it, manner in which men minister sometimes bothers me. So what is the what is the response of us as a people to those who have been called into eldership in this world? Well, it comes actually in the next verses. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are elders. All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Giving honour and giving respect, giving a right response, giving room, not only because the person has the but also because of the obvious. Not only because the person, someone coming into an object hasn't developed that function yet, but you still afforded the respect of an elder because of the, of the role that he has been called to by the Lord within the fellowship. So in practical terms, where Jerry is concerned, no pedestals, please. No bowing and scraping. No sir. No standing back and showing him the kind of awe that you instinctively show all the other elders. <laughs> <laughs> but it's rather like a marriage. You see, the husband is to love the wife and serve the wife. And the wife is to love the husband. The elder who lovingly serves and sacrifices and takes people with him needs the love and the support and the respect that will give him room to fulfill that ministry. That's the first word. The second one is overseer. In some, and actually in the NIV, Bob Burnaby is rubbing his hands with glee this morning, um, because it, it really is much better in the, in the authorised version. That uh, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. The, 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 the early manuscripts have the word there, from which we get the episcopate, the bishop. <coughs> right? Not only is Jerry coming into the office of an elder, a presbyter, but also of a bishop. Ah, now you say, where's his mitre, his purple vest, and his funny collar? Now, can I make it absolutely clear that in the New Testament there was no hierarchy and rank at all in such offices? The same words were used interchangeably of the same people. If you don't believe me, turn over to Titus, Chapter 1, we, well, I'll assume that you don't believe me, and I'll read it to you. Because I think it's so important that we have our concepts clear when it comes to the offices that God has set within his church. Titus, that's just after Timothy, just before Hebrews. Chapter 1 and verse 6. Talking here, an elder, Presbyteros, must be blameless, the husband of one wife, listen, Gerald, a man whose children believe 
and I'm not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient, Alan, <laughs> since an overseer, now look, there's an inter interchange of words, from an elder to what the word has been translated as a bishop, and an overseer is entrusted with God's work. He must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, Gerald, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain, rather he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And there's, they are two sides of the same coin. They are two facets, two sides of the same diamond. That, uh, in, that the, ter the title elder describes his seniority, the respect that should be afforded to him. The title overseer describes his perspective. Someone who can see widely relating to the needs of the fellowship. Someone with a wide view. And it's not surprising that as the early manuscripts are written, that this word was dropped from some of them. You see, it didn't suit the kind of structures that the later fathers tried to build into the church. There is nowhere in the New Testament that there's anybody who is a bishop over many churches. It is not found anywhere, nor is it hinted to. The overseer is, a, is the elder, and a plurality of elders within one local church who has responsibility to oversee, to, to watch the flock, to care for the overall needs. And one of the marks of an elder, as I've looked for it, is not just a man who's good within his sphere. A good home group leader is not necessarily a good elder. A good youth leader is not necessarily a good elder because a, a man within a, a particular sphere of leadership has his interests focused entirely on that sphere so that the only thing that's important to the musicians is the musical ministry. And the only thing that's important to Alan Orr is the money. You know, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, of course that's not true. But when you've got a major responsibility and a particular sphere, of course you have a greater concern for that particular area in the life of the church. But the elder has to have an overview. He has to see wider than the little sphere in which I operate. He has to be able to see the whole thing and hold the thing together. That's why he's called an overseer. Episcopos. It is also noted here that there is a hint of rewards. Not quite what you've got in mind there, Gerald, but um, again, this has been twisted and perverted. Two ways. To think that the idea of an archbishop is utterly alien to the very spirit of what the New Testament is speaking that those within the church should be called the vicar of Christ or the prince of apostles. Nowhere here is Peter claiming that he is the, 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 the man on the top of the pile. It's interesting, isn't it? Where he's talking in a leadership context that he's not quote, pulling rank as the bishop of Rome. That, that has no basis whatsoever in scripture. It's the pure result of tradition and the Theories built on necessity. But it, that there <coughs> is, is a place here, and he's saying that it should not be done 
for financial reward, not in order for dishonest gain. That, that was in leadership, and in particular spheres in leadership, particularly those that labour in the word and in doctrine, are remunerated for their ministry. They are afforded double honour. 1 Timothy 5.17, an excellent verse. But I want to stay on that one. What Peter is saying here, Adam Clark, the old Methodist commentator, to my mind, put it in a nutshell, said, don't fleece the flock. <laughs> Fitness. What Peter saying. And how easy it is to start to use position for my own advantage. To start to build relationships so that people begin to feel obligated. How easy it is that, uh, and how many, I've got to be careful what I say here, lest I incriminate myself. How easy it is to assume a position where people, you know, well, they wouldn't lend anybody else you can't, they've probably got to lend it to him because he's, he's an elder. And that, uh, so that people can't say no to you. How, how very, very subtle greed can come into the heart of a person who's been given authority and access into the lives of individual people. And uh, I said some time ago at an, at an evangelist conference, the Christmas evangelist conference, not very, very long ago, that the dangers for men of ministry of the love of drink, the love of, 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 of immorality, and the love of money being three of the major causes of men coming unstuck in ministry. Because of the, the possibility of taking advantage in somebody else's life and that covetousness in the guise of, uh, of them rewarding you, having a wrong place. And therefore, here Peter says that the elder is to be the model. It's the word that will be used for a correct copy that you are taking a copy from. What a challenge for elders. That Paul could say, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. But what a tremendous obligation for seeking God and walking credibly in anointing there is on elders. And you know, this week I've been uh, in my Bible reading, I've been reading in the Acts of the Apostles, and I've just been coming towards the end of the Acts of the Apostles, where Paul has been in prison. And I've been so challenged by the, 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 the way that Jesus just spoke to him. And uh, the, an angel came in the middle of the storm and said, Okay, Paul, and he could stand and say, It's going to be all right, the ship will be lost, but you won't. And in the middle of it, there's that. Clarion I believe God. And how important it is for elders to be men of faith and men of vision who can say in, 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 in the, the, the days before a fortnight of evangelism, we will reap, that we, we will see the, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That men who can inspire, and my thoughts went, if you'd like to turn back to me, to one of those, into Hebrews, into one of those verses which is often quoted 
Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, today, and forever. What a lovely verse. But what is the point of that verse? What is the context? Have you ever noticed? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of the way of life and imitate their faith. I've got to be a man who walks in faith. Gerald, you're going to have to walk in faith. We're going to have to show these people, you and I and the two Johns, Paul's away, we're going to have to show these people what it is to believe God so that they catch a vision and move with it. What a high calling for those who are overseers. But then there's the third one, and I'm, I must draw to a close so that we don't press everything down. Shepherd the flock of God. The idea of being a pastor. It must have made an indelible impression on Peter's mind when Jesus said, Simon Peter, do you love me? Tend my life. And the call here to an apostle to look after the flock of God. And it's interesting that that pastoring, that caring, that nurturing, guiding, guarding, feeding and folding. You want a definition of pastoral care? Guiding, guarding, feeding and folding was something which was a part of all leadership and all ministry. That it's not just the responsibility of the pastor, the Ephesians 4 man, the elder with that special calling and responsibility. In fact, his responsibility is to equip the saints in the work of the ministry of pastoring, of guiding, guarding, feeding and folding. The notion that my role as pastor is to do all the pastoring and you're there as bleeding sheep to receive all the pastoring is totally, totally without base biblically. My role is to teach you and particularly to teach the elders to guide and guard and feed and fold so that then the elders in their caring teach other men also, not only in teaching, but in guiding, guarding, feeding, and folding. So as a church, we become a people with a care for one another and a pastoral heart. That's what it means to be a model of the flock of God. And what, what a lovely phrase, this emphasis on, on each one. It says here that the elder has a portion. Let me read the word. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as order, overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing. God wants you to be not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording over those entrusted to you. Now, wh whether that means, as it, it would seem to mean, that each elder has a particular sphere of pastoral care, that there are those, Joe, that will be entrusted to you. Feed the flock. And uh, 
it cuts right across the instinct in us, or maybe just in me. You know, there are some lovely sheep. There are, you know. There's some lovely Christians. I'm not looking at anybody in particular. There are, there are people whose home, you know, it's just a joy to go and pastor. There are, honestly, not kidding you. Such people do exist. That and that there are there are always those who we find a natural rapport with, and how, how lovely it is to, to tend the flock of God. But then there's also those other sheep. Oh no, not that one. Oh no, not him. Again? And you see, the flock is the flock of God. And the, the shepherd's heart has has a heart not only for the for the nice white fleecy sheep, but also the bedraggled one that's got thorns and sea bolts and everything else kind of knotted up in its wool. No that one. Because isn't that how Jesus, the good shepherd, operated in his leadership of us? When in Ezekiel 34, the prophet talks about God will shepherd the flock himself and will appoint over the flock shepherds of his own heart, isn't he? Talking preeminently of the Lord Jesus. And uh, in Hebrews, with the say, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, and really this is where all the example and the, the precedent for leadership comes from. Jesus has done it. When all said and done, we're only assistant shepherds at best. Some with more responsibility than others, but the church are his. We are the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 100 verse 3. So how do you respond to a pastor? How do you like being folded? I had to ask you that question. You like that? How do you like being told which pen to go into? Do, do you take too well to being told which grass is grass to eat? And that that's lovely.